This is the Agile Thoughts Podcast, and I'm Lance Kine. Hi, I'm Jeff Ellingham. I'm uh, I'm an Agile coach. I'm a leadership coach. I'm a psychotherapeutic counselor. I used to be a primary school teacher. I do all kinds of things. Uh, and at the moment, I'm just kind of trying to have fun with meeting as many people as I can in lockdown. This series, Agile in Wonderland with Jeff Ellingham, started in episode 118. Go to the show archive to find it. During this series, we've been joined by a bonus guest. Hi, I'm William Rowden. I lead enterprise agile transformations uh, after starting from uh, agile development years ago. And I've had a recent interest in what kinds of understandings of human, the human mind of psychology and of development can uh, help us be more successful in our agile transformations. During this multi-part series, we're going to discuss a paper published by Jeff called Agile in Wonderland, Human-Centric Coaching. There are links to the paper in the show notes. We continue the conversation about Jeff's final article in a series based on his research into the lived experience of Agile coaches. And in this paper, he introduces the Agility Coaching Model. Let's talk about the model now. Uh, go ahead and describe yeah, it's, it. So it's a, pretty, it's a pretty standard kind of grid. It has four columns, although... You know, I was very clear in my article. This is a this is a first iteration, and I've been having a little bit of a conversation with Bill Joyner about the alignment of of the the kind of spiral dynamics and form levels that that Lelou uses in reinventing organizations and Joyner's levels that come from this kind of this like this different history, and they don't and they don't fully align. So. That was actually the first thing I noticed when I was reading your <laughs> article. I thought, oh, he doesn't align them the way Lelou does. Yeah. And this uh, knowing that I was reading your article last night and knowing that I was talking to you this morning created some tension in me because I thought, well, this is this isn't the way I would align them. This isn't the way Spade aligns them or you know whatever and so as i was reading it and then i got to the end and i saw i've gotten some feedback from bill Joyner, and i'm like oh okay well so i i I won't be in a in the position of you know telling him that his baby has a blemish um (laughs) because it's a beautiful baby um so i'm uh uh, i I liked your postscript at the end that said hey how about we realign these yeah, so uh, so I was I was trying to keep things simple, and 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 Joyner has the same issue. You know, Joyner Joyner has these five levels, but in most of what he writes about, he only talks about three because his numbers say there's only five percent of the population in these top two levels. So actually, spending forty percent of my time talking about five percent of the people doesn't make a lot of sense. And I was wary about having a model where I'm I'm kind of got this I've got this great lovely picture that says we've got five levels here and nearly everybody's gonna be in the first two columns. Um, because the criticism that I think is most the that is most valid and I knew was going to come because it's my own self-criticism of this whole model is the putting people in boxes and putting people in a hierarchy thing. And I think there are ways 
if one's careful of 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 working through that but i think there's a there is there's always a challenge there anyway so if we come back to the model so in its first iteration it had four columns and each of the columns has a metaphor and the metaphors i mean you can go back through uh, through a whole uh, a whole bunch of people you can, you can kind of go back to taylorism really if you want to you know, start off metaphors. We've been using metaphors for organizations for a long time. Uh, the metaphors that I've used are the, are the ones that Lelou uses mainly in his, in Reinventing Organizations, plus Wonderland, which comes from a researcher called McCabe, was picked up by another researcher in my part of the world, in, in the northeast of, of England, called uh, Joe James. So the, so the four are machine, family, living system and wonderland and wonderland there's there's something there's something just immediately evocative and beautiful about that metaphor so uh, whatever else i throw out in the model i think that's staying and then in the in the model then that we have some developmental stages for individuals and i've used joiner's language just because i think it's particularly accessible and because he's 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 intentionally engaged with the agility community and so it it seemed like a a sensible set to use and then there is an alignment with lalu's uh with lalu's levels and i now have two versions of that, of that alignment both of which have their own problems I would add about Joyner's terminology is that I think that uh, his terminology is um, particularly kind in describing each stage in the way it would like to be described, whereas yes, some right. other models tend to make the earlier stages sound um, <laughs> less than sound. <laughs> yeah, yeah, less than, which is which is, as you say, not uh, not an appropriate approach because each way of approaching the world has its value in different situations, and at any given time, all of these are operational in each of us to different degrees, and so we don't want to sort of highlight one as the end goal and and regard all others as uh, as as less than. Exactly right. So aligned with with those four columns, we have uh, types of coaching. So skills coaching, performance coaching, development coaching, and transformation coaching, which, as I said, comes from Peter Hawkins. So that's his alignment. And then I've I've kind of incorporated some suggestions as to what kind of things do we expect to be happening at this at each level within the team. So in the in the machine metaphor, we've got kind of quite functional behaviours, and we've got the language of teams in quite a formal way. So we're assuming that this is that these are teams that are doing doing agile in, in scare quotes or you know who are in the early stages of agility so there's some kind of collaborative experience going on but it's in early stages of language and then as we walk, walk through into family we've got that appreciation of individuals and relational strength and starting to build a network of attention amongst people as we move into living systems we've got um, strategic purpose and identity and we've got innovation and change and and starting to understand feedback loops and starting to pay attention to what happens when and then curiosity and reflex and reflexivity coming in uh, at that at that other end in Wonderland. And I think with with all of the and these are these are Joe James's languages. And I've decided, as far as possible, I've decided not to add where where, where I'm drawing on somebody else's research. I've used their language. I'm really trying to to not 
add too much other than where there's a there's a gap in the same way i've taken lisa adkins uh agile coaching competency framework and kind of and 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 roughly put them not in the place where they have to happen but where there's the most kind of obvious fit so i've got teaching aligned with the the kind of expert developmental stage i've got facilitating uh aligned with the with the with the achiever with the family stage and so on but they're not it's not that this is where they're located it's just that if you're thinking about where is there a kind of most obvious fit that's where it is and similarly kind of what what are we what what are the, what's the team likely to be focused on in a, in an agility way so events and metrics and all that kind of basic framework stuff in the expert column uh, collaboration conflict and trust and conflict and trust in particular i think are the things that i i associate with with family as a metaphor uh, as teams go through that th- those those kind of those kind of challenging to really challenge each other in relationship and then this systems thinking uh, and adaptation and curiosity and what I've kind of called post-agile in the, in the far right and then ideology really starting at just in the left-hand column trust me this is this is it this is this is how it works do it this way and you'll be successful um, through to um, understanding how collaboration works with 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 uh, with engagement and well-being and then importantly to the right-hand side thinking about shared values and meanings and contested ideologies and values so allowing multiple value systems to coexist and to be in conflict with each other and to explore and welcome those those different value systems so we move from a fixed view of this is how it should be to a to a much more much more contested view of view of the world if you like and the idea is that for a for a coach there's a there's an opportunity to think about okay first of all where am i um and I, it, for those people who are interested i'm very much pointing people back at the source material so if i'm if i'm thinking about where am i i might go and look at bill joiner's 360 stuff for example or just you know just read the book but just kind of work out where you know what kind of what's, what's my what's my stage developmental level and what might that tell me about where I might have blind spots and which kind of teams am I going to, am I going to find it more challenging to, to work with uh, because there's a, there's a, there's a gap of one kind or another. I want to, yeah, I want to come in on that aspect because yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I have some experience with this, particularly within the agile community. And there's some interesting aspects of self-assessment. So the Leadership 360 I like as an instrument. The Leadership Circle profile also isn't so uh, directly tied to these particular yeah. uh, stages, but also has built in in it the developmental understanding. Another one that I've used is the Global Leadership Profile. And uh, I've noticed, uh, I've actually used that on a, uh, a dozen, more than a dozen different Agile coaches within our community. And so it's kind of given me a picture of where our community is. Mm. And one of the interesting things that I've noticed is that there's a sort of achiever mentality in corporate America that sees this end stage as some sort of goal. And so people look sort of at the last column and they're trying to assess themselves against that last column. And if the ideas make sense, then they think, ah, I'm probably in that last column. And so we have this contradiction as a community in that one of our values is responding to change. So we have this evolutionary emergent value within the community that we all accept as a value. It doesn't mean it that we all are necessarily approaching our lives in an emergent and evolutionary way, even though we might understand and adopt that idea. Uh, And so sometimes uh, self-assessment 
in my experience, can be a little bit misleading. The yeah. debriefs where folk have been in early Achiever have been some of my more difficult debriefs because it's not what people expected their profile to show up as. And so I really do think that something like Joiner's uh, Leadership 360 is a good instrument for providing somebody with the sort of real world information that helps yeah. them understand where they are and really enact this agile value of feedback, external feedback, um, not just uh, internal sort of assessment. Yeah. And, and of course, Joiner has a, there is a 360 self-assessment tool now and I haven't used it. But, but I'm aware that it's that it's that it's there. I've I've only used the the the, the kind of full coaching model. But yeah, no, I I, I completely accept that. And and it's going to be uh, it's going to tend to be an opposite challenge, I suspect, when people are doing their kind of assessments of the people they're working with, especially those people who are kind of in that achiever space. But anyway, so it's so so yes, you're you're absolutely right, and and. And it comes back to, you know, I come back again to putting people in boxes. And, I, and again, there's a there's a challenge here for coaches, I think, in, in, in transparency. So if I'm using a model in my coaching, in my one-to-one coaching, or even in my therapy work, if I'm using a model in my head, then unless there's some really good reason why it's non-therapeutic to share that with my client I want my client to know what model I'm using and so if I was using this model and I'm sharing it again it's this this challenge of you know where am I in the box which which column is me and why aren't I over here and all all of that is is scratchy so I haven't I haven't yet worked out how to how uh, how to I I'm not, haven't even got the word. I don't want to use manage the, the way that I kind of code through this. Um, but, um, but yeah, so, so, so but working, working out where the people I'm working with are, what's the spread in the team, what differences do I pick up? And then it, what's, is there a dissonance between where the team is and where the organization is? And, and I know that a lot of, a lot of people will be, be straight jumping into, well, my agile team is green and my organization is, is orange or maybe amber. But actually, it's probably more complicated than that. And there's there's often a gap between where senior leadership is and where the organization's hierarchy and middle is. And, you know, so there's there's all kinds of complexities that we can tease out. But what we're really interested in is boundaries, I think, and how we manage the boundary between the team and the, the parts of the organization the team has to work with, because that's where the dissonance uh, seems to happen most. And there's an issue there for contracting for coaches. So if I'm contracted to work with the whole organization or work with the leadership team, that's great because I can get in and start working out how I might affect some change beyond this team over here. But so many agile coaches are simply contracted to work with a particular team and they have almost have very little influence over what happens in the rest of the organization. So for them, it's really about working out how can I help the team to manage this boundary? Um, and who are the people I have access to in the boundary space that I can work with to, to help? And then in that ideology, there's, there's, um, there's some thinking about, about, am I going to use any of this ideological language with this team or with this organization, knowing that it, it can create some sense of people being in this together and going on some exciting journey because we're doing this agile thing and isn't it great? And it sets up some challenges for the future. 
And it sets up a power dynamic between me as the holder of the guru and the holder of all the knowledge and the wisdom around this agile stuff and you as the team who's simply accepting my wisdom. So I think that, that looking at the different places, that, the different ways that ideology shows up in these di- different developmental stages gives the, choice, gives the coach some choice about how to engage with some of that ideological language and thinking. Yeah, and I think some of those practices can be taught in a way that facilitates emergence or evolution. For example, if a team is taking your word as the guru, that the way to do it is to have a demonstration at the end end of every sprint in which you show working product, then they can adopt that as a process. But the actual experience of the practice is that Before the demo, I'm worried about my stakeholders that are showing up. I'm worried about what we're going to demonstrate. I'm worried about what we're going to say that we haven't completed. And so my attention is being focused not on the process, but on the outcome. And so you can see the possibility that repeated application of a practice that you've accepted as this is what you do shifts you to this is the outcome I get from this practice and so facilitates that particular emergence. So something adopted in an early way, I think if practice can lead to a, a more mature way of thinking about it. Same thing with the retrospectives, right? This is a thing I have to do. Well, if I eventually adopt this idea that I want to continually uh, incorporate feedback into the way I'm doing things, then that is an opportunity for me to grow, even if I re- initially regard it simply as, uh, you know, something that somebody told me to do. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, with, without getting into a whole different conversation, right? When I when I define the human-centric agility, the, the 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 words I use are the the search for value and meaning through deliberate practice in, and then my particular set of words for agility but that deliberate practice is coming back to when i talk about the magic of agility it's the way that it's the emergence we get from that deliberate practice in these in these different disciplines of curiosity and trust and collaboration and so on uh, just as you were saying Agile Grande teaches you systems thinking through dramatic storytelling, such as Carter takes a job to improve a logistics company's adaptability, but efforts to scale agile practices are being blocked by Mr. Chernesky, a vice president who's organized the company into siloed pigeonholes in order to secretly make millions with a dark web shipping service. Carter's life is in danger, he goes underground, and a spy agency hunts for him. When Carter uses systems thinking, systems modeling, and organizational change to save his company and his life, you get to learn how to apply that to your organization as well. Get your free copy of Agile Grande at leanpub.com. We've got those goodies in the show notes, so if you have a podcast player, it'll suck them right up. But if you don't have a podcast player, you can go back to the site where you downloaded this podcast, and that website will have the show notes as well. 
Next episode, more Jeff and special guest William. I, I love that, and I'm very curious about your tension around that as a therapist uh, with this idea of sharing whatever model you're using with the client. Um, when I've shared developmental models toward agility with clients, it hasn't always gone well. Um, <laughs> for, the same, for the same reason that you that we've discussed earlier yeah. around um, sort of like what box are you putting me in? Why aren't in the best box. 